Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. There had never been someone who taught quite like he taught. There were many teachers all across the region, that's without a doubt. They had memorized all of the right scriptures. They even could deliver very powerfully. They could captivate an audience. People hung on their every word, but they were just words. There was no action. There was no substance behind their words. But when Jesus came and he began to taught, there was substance behind every word. He didn't just preach these words, he lived these words, and it attracted people into Jesus' presence. And when you find a teacher who believes what they're teaching so much that they're willing to live it no matter what the cost, that is an attractive thing. And people will gradually find themselves sitting at the feet of men and women who preach and teach like that. Such was the case with two sisters. Jesus comes into their town called Bethany, and they welcome him into their home. And these two sisters couldn't be more dislike one another, more dissimilar. One sister, as Jesus comes into the home, is so busy about the business of hospitality, making sure that everything is just right on the table, that the linens are pressed, that the silverware has been polished, that the plates are clean, that the meal has been prepared. She's so concerned and so focused on that that she forgets the reason why they opened their home in the beginning in the first place is because Jesus is here. This sister would say in her heart, watching her sister called Mary sit at Jesus' feet, she would say, how can you just sit there And allow me to do all the work. The other sister, Mary, Jesus walks into the room and she's so captivated by his word, so captivated by truth. She finds herself seated at his feet, the proper posture of any student to a teacher. And it's a posture that we must all learn in this sanctuary this morning. The posture of sitting at Jesus' feet and letting him fill you with his word, with truth, to wash over you. She would look to her sister so busy with the business of hospitality and making sure everything is just right, and she would be reasoning within herself, how can she be so distracted with serving when Jesus is in the room? Two different perspectives, two different postures. And the one sister, Martha, is so frustrated, she goes to Jesus, and she says to Jesus, Jesus Don't you see that my sister Mary is ignoring the work of the house? How can you allow her to get away with this? Tell her to come and help me. And Jesus' reply would be the reply that each and every one of us should hear this morning. He says to Martha, your sister Mary, she has learned that there's one thing that is really necessary in life. One thing. And she's chosen that good portion which cannot be taken from her. She's here seated at my feet, soaking in my word. Now, what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at the life of Mary. 
and how over and over again this disciple of the Lord finds herself seated at the feet of Jesus in all different shapes that life takes. She finds herself in the same posture, the same position, sitting at the feet of Jesus, the place where you and I need to be this morning, seated at the feet of Jesus. We find her seated at the feet of Jesus in the good. There she is, the house is filled with laughter, the house is filled with fellowship, the house is filled with a meal, and people are breaking bread and sharing life and sharing stories. And there she is seated at the feet of Jesus, and little does she know that this time in the presence of Jesus is going to be used in her life as a preparation for the suffering that lies just around her corner. She wouldn't know the loss and the grief that is going to meet her in just a few short days. She wouldn't know the sense of loneliness and dread and emptiness that would be there for her. She wouldn't know these things, but there she is seated at the feet of Jesus. And in that time, Jesus is preparing her for the suffering that she will meet when he's gone. Do you want to be prepared for your season of suffering? We've looked at the suffering of fear we looked at the suffering of sickness, whether that be physical sickness, emotional sickness, or spiritual sickness. We've looked at the suffering of culture and the culture just trying to cram itself down our throats and we're trying to live as light and as salt and we're in this world but not of this world. We're never going to be content or happy in this world, this side of heaven. And today what we're going to look at is the suffering that is there when grief and when mourning and with loss hits our hearts. Now, specifically, we're going to be talking about the loss of a loved one this morning, but understand that it takes many different shapes. For you, your grief or your suffering or your loss might look like the loss of a job or the loss of some sort of financial security or maybe the loss of an important relationship, a severing of fellowship that you once enjoyed. We can grieve over all of these things. Actually, counselors actually say that divorce is more traumatic for children than that of the death of a parent. The, the divorce, they can grieve over that the same they would over the loss of a parent. And so grief takes many different shapes, but today we're going to look specifically at the grief of losing a loved one. And so if you have your Bibles, take them out and open them to John chapter 11. And again, we're going to be looking at the story of Mary this morning looking at it through her lens. But as we read this story, I want you to ask yourself as we read through this, who is it that I identify with? Who is it that I can reach out and I can say, that person reminds me of me. I've walked in those shoes. I've thought those thoughts. I've said those words. I felt that raw emotion. Because God wants to meet you in this place and wants you to see through these people that it's going to be okay. That God is there with you even in the midst of your suffering. So we've seen Mary seated at the feet of Jesus in the good, but now we're going to see Mary seated at the feet of Jesus in the bad. And this begins with the petition that we see in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now pause there for a moment. The petition goes forth. It's a plea that these sisters have with Jesus. 
But it says here in the beginning that this man is ill. The word literally in the Greek means to have some sort of debilitating disease. He's literally on his deathbed. This isn't like a sore throat. This isn't a common cold. He's in desperate need of help, the literal translation. Desperate need of help. There was no other recourse. All other avenues had been explored. All other avenues had been attempted. Doctors had been sought. Medicine had been taken. And yet still, Lazarus lies on his deathbed. And so they send word to Jesus. The one whom you love is ill. He's sick. In this moment right now, you have to understand that everyone in this room, myself included, has to be able to identify with Lazarus in this moment. Every single one of us is in just as as much need of help and assistance from Jesus as Lazarus is in that moment. Lazarus lies on his deathbed, but apart from the finished work of the cross, we are all doomed to the same fate. We are all doomed to separation from God. Right? And so this call is made in desperation. Please, you have to do something here. Your friend is sick. The scripture says clearly, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We all have, have this contagious disease called sin. And if left unchecked, it will lead us all to the same fate which is the fate of death or separation from God. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, for everything there is a reason and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. The author of Hebrews said that it's appointed for man to die once and after this you enter into judgment. You have to be ready. You have to be prepared for death. It's coming for us all. Every single one of us has a tombstone with our name already written on it. The only thing that's not there are the dates. It's inevitable. Death will. How many of you will testify to the fact that in your body you know death is coming? Right? Days like today when you have to wake up an hour earlier and you feel like death walking, right? The other day, I, I can attest to this because I thought, you know what, I, I'm in pretty good shape. I think I'm going to try to go ahead and, and play a little one-on-one with my son Caleb basketball. Those of you who haven't seen Caleb and I standing next to each other lately, he's like two, three inches taller than me at 13 years old, right? And in my pride and in my arrogance and in, you know, I'm in good shape, I say, I'm going to take him on. That was a bad idea, right? I mean, I, I tried to drive to the basket. I got hit under the chin. I saw stars. I, my head was ringing for like probably 30 minutes. It was horrible. My body can't keep up with this young guy. It's dying. It's coming for us all, for you and for me. We can all relate to Lazarus in this case. That is all of our state. We are all on our deathbed. We are all in desperate need of attention and in desperate need of help. And so a call goes forth. The one whom you love has fallen ill. Now, what's interesting about this word love in the Greek is it's not the typical word for God's love that is used. It's not the agape love that we talk about. It's not that unconditional love that God has for his people that only really God can love. Only really God can love like that. This word that is used in the Greek is phileo. It's a word that is used of affection, of a fondness, of a friendship. And so literally what is being said here is that the one that you are fond of, your friend Lazarus, is sick. Now, when I tell my children that I love them, sometimes they just brush that off. Like, you know what? 
you're my dad, you have to love me. You have no choice but to love me, right? And we overuse the word in our culture because we use the word love as, you know, I love my wife, I love my kids, and I love a California burrito after, after church, right? It's not the same. So we overuse this word love, and so sometimes I think that the word love loses its meaning when I try to share it with my children. So I've started to say, instead of just, you know how much I love you, I've started to say things like, you know what, you're one of my favorite people in the entire world. You know what, I would rather spend my time with you than with anyone in the world. You know what, if I could have chosen a son or a daughter, I would have chosen you. Right? Because there's another layer of affection, of attention, of kindredness that is there. And so that's the word that is being used here. The one that you're fond of, your friend, he's sick. And so this plea goes forth, this petition goes forth. And it's as if they're appealing to the friendship that Jesus has with Lazarus. Now, here's what's amazing is that this friendship, this kindredness that is between Lazarus and Jesus, it doesn't just exist for them. It also exists for you this morning. Jesus said in John chapter 15, greater love has no man than this than that he lay his life down for his friends. But he goes on a few verses later and he says this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. If I could have chosen Anyone to die for in the entire world, I would have chosen you. There's a fondness and an affection for you. Jesus doesn't just agape love you. He phileo loves you. He's fond of you and wants to be with you. And so the sisters appeal to this. And because of this, the sisters have hope. In their mind's eye, they're thinking, you know, you know what? We're close with Jesus. We've done life together. We are in a community group together. We've broken the same bread. We've drinking out of the same cups. We've shared a meal and held hands around a table. We've thanked God for the meal. We've laughed together. We've cried together. We've worshiped together. We've prayed together. We've studied together. We are in one another's lives. They, we are close. And if anyone deserves a miracle, if anyone's going to get a miracle, it's going to be us because Jesus is fond of us. Can you relate? Have you been there in that place? Jesus, we know that you heal the blind, they can see. We know that you unstop the ears of the deaf, they can hear. We know that you've loosed the lips of the mute and they can speak. We've seen the lepers been cleansed, their bodies cleansed. We see the lame, they begin to leap. We see the dead raised, the demon possessed delivered. We've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And those were for complete strangers. But you love us. We are close. We are intimate. Now it's our turn for the miracle. Now it's our turn to see you move. And they wait. Now understand, there's actually, in this petition, there's not actually a petition that's expressed. All they say is, the one that you're fond of is sick. They don't say, please come right away and heal. They don't say, please speak a word. It's assumed that Jesus is going to take care of their need because they're tight. These people would have known the stories like in John chapter 4 where a father comes with his son and says, my son is so sick. I need you to come in to heal him. And Jesus would say, go your way, your son is healed. And the boy is made whole. They would have known the story like in Matthew chapter 8 where a centurion comes to Jesus, a ruler over many soldiers in the Roman army. And one of the centurion's servants is sick. And he requests of Jesus, please come and heal my servant. My servant is sick. And Jesus says, show me where he's at. Lead the way. And the centurion says, 
You don't even need to come. I'm a man with great authority. All you need to do is speak the word and it'll happen. And Jesus' mind is blown. I've never seen this kind of faith. He speaks the word and the centurion's servant is healed. They know these stories. They've lived it. They've experienced it. They've seen it with their own eyes and heard it with their own ears. And so now it's their turn and they wait. But there's a problem. Look at what happens here in verse 4. Verse 4, but Jesus heard it. When he heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was at. What gives? How does that make sense? Jesus, you love them, but you're going to wait? You love them, but you're going to leave them hanging? You love them, but you're going to string this out? What are you trying to do here? Where are you in the midst of this? I don't understand your way of thinking. And Jesus is clear. This sickness doesn't lead to death. It's so that God might be glorified. So that Jesus, so that I might be glorified, Jesus says, right? There's a purpose behind this madness. There's a purpose behind this pain. But imagine being Martha and Mary in this moment. They wait. They send word and they watch their brother die before their very eyes. They watch the life slip from his eyes and the breath from his lungs. Read on with me. We'll see what happens here. Verse 7, after this, after the two days, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Not very bright, are they? Right? Now, Jesus has to do what he has to do with some of us from time to time, and he has to get real blunt and real plain. Verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that, they, that Lazarus was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, listen to this, for your sake... I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. What Jesus is saying in this moment, I am glad that I was not there to heal him because this is bigger than sickness. This is bigger than death. There's a truth that you need to learn, a truth that you need to grasp, that you need to make your own. And the only way you can learn this is you have to experience it. There are some lessons in life that you cannot learn by reading a book. There are some truths that you cannot grasp by listening to a lecturer. There are some things in life that the only way you can truly understand and know them and experience them and make these truths your own is to live it, is to breathe it, is to walk it out. And Jesus says, I am glad for your sake that I wasn't there because there's something deeper that you're going to learn. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also so that we might die with him. Thomas, well, they're going to try to kill him in Jerusalem. We might as well just go to our deaths as well. Let's follow our teacher to death. 
Look at this, verse 17. And we're going to see this transition now into a period of lamentation. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, pause there for a moment. Again, put yourselves in the shoes of these two sisters. Because there was a Jewish kind of fable or superstition that when a spirit left the body, that that spirit would hover over the body for three days. And so oftentimes the Jews would sit, and there's actually, they actually called this Ananut. It's a Jewish custom when they would sit and watch the body to make sure that the spirit doesn't return, to make sure that the life is gone. And so the people in the home, the people closest to the one who had passed away, would gather around, and for three days they would watch the body to make sure that it doesn't rise. Imagine again being in the shoes of Mary and Martha. Imagine recalling all of those miracles, miracle after miracle after miracle. Imagine knowing that Jesus is able to raise people from the dead. They either saw the widow of Nain's son risen from the dead or they've heard the story. And so there they sit. They sat for days waiting for the healing as they watched their brother die. And now they sit watching his dead body, waiting for Jesus to come. During this time, these family members would just sit there and observe, and no one else would come. Not until after the burial, but after the burial, then the city would swell at the place of the grieving parents or the grieving siblings' home. They would bring food, and they would bring condolences, and they would sit with the people on the floor in the dust and in the ashes and mourn and grieve with them. It's, a, it's the second form of grieving in the Hebrew customs called shiva. So they would sit there and grieve and moan and wail with the people who are broken, who are hurting. Imagine being those sisters. You could have spared me all of this pain. I don't have to suffer this way. We've seen you do it for complete strangers. I thought you loved us. And they watched the brother die, and then they watched the body being led to burial, and they think that there's just no hope. There's no hope left in any of this. Jesus never came for them. When they needed him the most, he doesn't show up. This is the emotion that they're feeling. And imagine the thoughts that must have been going through their mind. That There's no possible way this can be happening to us right now. I mean, we shared a meal with this guy. We are close. There's no possible way this is happening. There's no possible way he's going to die. There's no possible way he's going to stay dead. There's no possible way that Jesus doesn't show up. It's a grieving process, a phase or a stage in the grieving process that we call denial. If you have your notes, I want you to open those up. We're taking an outline as we go through this sermon, but on the right-hand side, there are five stages of grief that we're going to go through. And this process, this denial process, is built into our emotional fabric because without it, we would just implode. And so this is a way that we cope. It's a coping mechanism to deflect the pain, to deflect the emptiness, to deflect the sorrow for those moments. There's no way this is happening to me. There's no way that it's cancer. There's no way that I'm getting this phone call right now. There's no way that God would allow this to happen to me. 
There's no possible way. It's a transition moment in your life as you're adjusting to the sorrow and the loss. These sisters are experiencing this, watching and waiting for Jesus to show and he never comes. Look at what happens with this confrontation and the way Martha responds to this. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you relate? Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.